This coming Friday through Sunday, Franklin Graham and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association are holding a festival that has involved many local churches, including Hebron, down at the Console Energy Center. And the goal is that multitudes who have not yet entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ will do so this coming weekend. Franklin Graham is an evangelist and sponsored by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Based on that, I wanted to share and stir our thoughts this morning on E is for evangelist. A companion text that I've chosen comes from the Psalms, Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the negative. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And our text for the sermon today comes from Ephesians in chapter 4. And in it we find one of three references in the New Testament to the term evangelist, beginning in Ephesians 4 and verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He gave evangelists. I don't know if any of you remember when you were younger, the little ABC books, A is for apple, alligator, whatever, B is for, okay, well let's switch it over for just a moment, let's go with a Bible answer, okay, A is for something from the Bible, Adam, okay, apple, I don't know if he ate an apple or not, but I heard somebody say apple, okay. Absalom, Abishai, you could go on and on. B is for? Bible. <laughs> Bethlehem, all right, Baal, I mean, you name it, Bartholomew, okay. How about C? 
Cry? Okay, awesome. Okay. How about D? Okay, all right. David, I've heard. Some others. How about Q? That's what I thought. <laughs> There's a couple in there. Okay. I'll let you check out X, Y, and Z. Okay. And, uh, but it might be fun to go home this week and make your own uh, ABC chart with uh, names and words and places from the Bible. E is for, hint, hint, evangelist. That's right. Now, the Bible has three different places where it speaks of an evangelist. And here's what's interesting. The word evangelist is actually tied in to the word gospel. Because if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, this is the gospel that I declared to you. And gospel can be translated good news. And so Paul said, this is the good news that I have for you. And if you go back to the Greek language the New Testament was first written in, it is the word evangelon. And it means the good news, and that's why sometimes in English, the gospel or the good news that Jesus saves is called the evangel. Because Paul went on to say, here's the gospel I've declared to you, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Jesus died for us, and he rose again that we might be saved. That's the good news, the evangel. And so an evangelist, in the general sense, is someone who shares that good news. To be evangelistic, or to be involved in evangelism, is to be involved in somehow spreading or sharing the good news that Jesus saves. Sometimes you'll hear that a person or, or a church is evangelistic. And I hope that's true of Hebron. That we are involved in sharing the good news that Jesus saves. We sometimes hear that churches are evangelical. And I believe Hebron is. And that means this is a church where at the core of who we are and what we believe and what makes us tick by the grace of God is the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. The evangelist is someone who is sharing, spreading that good news. Now in our text today, we find that Jesus, in verse 7, is the one who gives gifts of ministry to his people. In verse 11, we find some of the gifts identified, such as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And the point being that it is Jesus who makes the decision who gets what gift. And then as we learn in other portions of God's Word, spiritual gifts that Jesus gives to His people distinctly and uniquely to each one are ultimately all for one purpose. And that purpose is to bring His people to faith in Him and then to grow His people in that faith to maturity and unity. And one of the gifts He has given is evangelists. There are two other passages where evangelists are mentioned. In Acts chapter 21 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul, toward the end of his ministry, spends time at the home of Philip, 
the evangelist, the only person in the Bible who is uniquely identified as an evangelist. Interestingly, he's also called there one of the seven. Because if you journey back to the beginning of the book of Acts, the apostles were being overwhelmed with a number of new converts and some of the needs for compassionate distribution of food and nourishment and care and so on. And so they said, we need some helpers, some assistants. We call them deacons. And one of those first seven chosen to be a deacon, if you will, was Philip, not to be confused with Philip the Apostle. And now we find later this Philip, one of the seven, is identified as Philip the Evangelist. And uniquely his biography is highlighted for us in Acts chapter 8, where he starts by ministering in Jerusalem. And then we find him scattered by persecution up north to the city of Samaria. And he's preaching Christ there to the crowds. And then the Bible says the angel of the Lord sends him down to the desert near Gaza. And there he ministers to the Ethiopian eunuch and the gospel is carried back to Africa. And then the Bible says he goes to the seacoast along the Mediterranean and he moves upward preaching through various cities the message of Jesus, the good news, if you will. He is an evangelist. Now, most Bible commentators believe that the evangelist is uniquely different from the pastor and teacher in that the pastor and teacher is someone who tends to stay with a local congregation and is primarily involved in building up that congregation into the growth in the faith of Jesus Christ. An evangelist tended to be someone who would go other places. Places often where the gospel had not yet been. And would introduce people to the good news that Jesus saves. Some commentators said they're the equivalent of what we often think of as a missionary. Someone who may go somewhere where the message has not been heard or at least is not dominant and they share the good news that Jesus saves. And so while the pastor and teachers tended to stay locally, the evangelists tended to travel wherever directed of the Lord to share the good news Jesus saves. We have one other passage and that is 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5 where Paul said to Timothy, whom we believe was a pastor, who would come to a church that Paul had already started and would there develop elders and train the believers and build up the congregation and pastor God's people. He said, Timothy, I want you to do the work of an evangelist. So it wasn't just that he built up God's people. And it wasn't just that he developed the structure and the leadership of the local church, but around that local church were lots of people who did not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so he's saying, Timothy, even there in that locale, make sure you do the work of an evangelist, sharing the good news that Jesus saves. And so we have the evangelist evangelism. Now, we may not all be called to be an evangelist in the unique sense of being gifted to spread the good news of God as some are. We think of some evangelists in church history professionally, even in our own American church history. Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, 
Billy Sunday. If these are names you don't know, you ought to go to the internet and look them up and read about them. Billy Graham. My father has been an evangelist in a professional sense, if you will. It's been his full-time life and ministry for 52 years. And as an evangelist, he has traveled literally around the world often going where local churches sponsor a crusade of churches or one church where they specifically reach out to the community and invite those who don't know the Lord to come and hear about what it means to have saving faith in Jesus Christ. An evangelist does that, in a sense, professionally. The thing I've always appreciated about my dad is he doesn't just do it from the pulpit in the safety and security of the walls of the church. But the UPS guy or the mailman doesn't even come to my dad's house without hearing that Jesus saves. You see, he goes through a toll booth. He not only pays the toll, he leaves a gospel piece of literature. He wants them to know Jesus saves. That's a professional evangelist, if you will. But then there can be personal evangelists. These are people who are not particularly, shall we say, gifted, maybe called of God to travel all over and preach, but they have a passion to share Christ and His saving grace with others around them. Probably one of the greatest personal evangelists I ever knew about was a gentleman named Frank Thompson. He wasn't a preacher. He was a newspaper editor. For years, he did not know the Lord. He's what we might term an unbeliever or unsaved. And he would come home, and a man who was a Christian, who had a real burden for Frank, would be sitting on his doorstep every day when he got home from work. And Frank would curse at him, walk right by him into the house. But every day, when Frank would curse at him or walk right by him, he said, Frank, I'm praying for you. Frank, I love you. He said, finally, after four years, I couldn't walk past that man anymore. He said, I sat down on the porch by him and said, look, I don't know anything about this Christ. But he said, tell me about it. And he came to receive the Lord as his Savior. Then Frank Thompson said, if that man loved me and cared for me that much, I needed to care for others. And so he began to have a burden for the people of Merced, California, where he lived. And as a newspaper editor, he took his lunch hour every day. And instead of going and eating lunch, he'd get a handful of gospel tracts or little pieces of gospel literature explaining that Jesus saves. He would choose a block in his community. He'd go up one side of that street and down the other side, knock on the door, give them some gospel literature, invite them to the evangelistic church that he uh, attended. And he did that every day during his lunch hour. He began to have families say, hey, look, you know, uh, we may not come, but if our kids want to go to church or Sunday school, that's cool. He got to the point where at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and their Sunday school started at 10, he would start picking up children in his car, leave one of his older family members with the children. He'd go get another load between 8 and 10 and bring them to church. And then when everybody else was going, hurrying off to Sunday dinner after church, he spent the next two hours taking all these kids home. He just had a burden. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't an evangelist per se, but he was evangelistic to the core. And then I think of presentation evangelism. Just again this morning, coming down the turnpike, just about mile marker 64, headed, uh, headed this direction, headed west on the turnpike. There's a billboard, and it says, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
God. And I know that guy. His name is Dave Hinton. Dave Hinton considers himself an evangelist. He has devoted his life to filling billboards across the Pittsburgh area with messages of salvation from God's Word because he's confident that what God said is true. My Word will not return to me void. I don't know how many people have possibly read those signs. I don't know how many people have believed. But it is a way to present the gospel. And you know, in song, or in art, or in drama, or in film, or in media of some sort, or in literature and in writing. There are so many ways people are presenting the gospel, being evangelistic, sharing the good news. One of the most simple ways is what we call a gospel track, a small piece of literature that just explains quite simply what it is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I try to carry some of these with me on a consistent basis. I'm not somebody who stands on every street corner hollering and screaming and passing these out, but at the same time, there are times I encounter people and I don't necessarily have an opportunity to really develop a conversation, but I can sense there's a spiritual hunger, or maybe I just sense the Spirit of God saying to me, Tim, be a witness to them, even though they may not show any interest. And I can say, listen, here's a little something I'd like you to read. It's a little message about going to heaven or eternal life, something like that. And often they'll take you to read it. And you see, it's a great way just to present the gospel. Jim Huckabee, a friend of our family, coach and uh, athletic director at a Christian college for over 30 years. He was in the Navy as a young man, sat down on a bus bench, waiting for a bus. Somebody had left a little gospel pamphlet. He picked it up. He read it. He became a believer in Christ Jesus. Presentation. People say, well, you know, we just show it. And that's good. I've gone to Haiti. And our purpose in going to Haiti hasn't primarily been evangelistic. It has been to go down there and do medical missions, to bring the love of Christ through medicine, and now even through construction. But I've often felt when we've gone down there, we also need to share the message of Jesus. It's not just enough to do the good deed. We need to get out the message, Jesus saves. And so often as people were waiting in Haiti for medical, uh, medical help, I would go and I would take the, uh, uh, the little wordless book. And actually, this is attributed to the great Charles Spurgeon, when he was preaching to several hundred orphans on January the 11th, 1866, on the Psalm 51-7 verse, it says, Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. From that, uh, this little book came. and It goes like this. My heart was dark with sin until the Savior came in. His precious blood, I know, has washed me white as snow. And in God's word, I'm told, I'll walk the streets of gold. To grow in Christ each day, I'll read my Bible and pray. Simple ways that just express Jesus saves. That's proclamation. In Acts chapter 8, we find regarding Philip, the Bible says in uh, verse 5, Philip went down to Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Then he's out in the desert with one man, the Ethiopian eunuch, verse 35. Then Philip began with that very same passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Not only can we proclaim that Jesus saves, 
but we can invite. We may not feel like we can give the sermon or share all the truth, but we can invite someone to a sitting, uh, a situation where they can hear of Christ. That's part of the concept behind the crusade that's going to take place, the festival down at the, uh, uh, the Console Energy Center is. No, you may not be an evangelist yourself, but you can invite a friend or somebody you care about, come and hear about Jesus, or come and just see the concert, and they are presented with the claims of Christ there. The Bible tells us that there were people who did that in John chapter 1. It says regarding Andrew and verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of Jonah, and you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And then there's Bartholomew or Nathaniel and Philip and Nazareth. Nathaniel says, can anything good come from there? Come and see, said Philip. Andrew and Philip met Jesus, and this was the apostle Philip here, and they wanted their loved ones and friends to meet Jesus too. So they invited them to come to Jesus. Years ago, my dad was preaching in North Tonawanda, New York, up near Buffalo, and he offered a challenge to the people of that church as they were having an evangelistic meeting. He said, here's what I'd like to do. If you'd like to invite somebody to come and hear the gospel, he said, go to your phone book and look up your name in the phone book. He said, then choose the five names above it and the five names below it and call those people. They'll likely have the last name and say, listen, you're a Jones and I'm a Jones. I don't know if we're related or not, but how about coming to church? <laughs> One little girl, about 12 years old, took the challenge. She said to her mom, can I call? They said, okay, go ahead. Her name was Johnson. She called 10 Johnsons, and everybody said no. She said, can I keep calling? Her parents said, okay. Did you know she called 32 Johnsons in the Buffalo, New York uh, uh, phone book? And finally, on the 32nd Johnson, an elderly man said, well, I can't drive anymore, but if you want to come pick me up, I'll come to church. She said, Mom and Dad, can we go pick him up? He said, sure. They went and picked him up that night. My dad preached the good news that Jesus saves, and that old man stepped out and received Christ as his Savior. The next night, he brought his son and his son's wife, and they both received Christ as their Savior. By the end of the week, seven members of that family had come to faith in Christ because one little girl said, I'm going to keep inviting until somebody comes. Invitation. Is there somebody you could invite to church, to a crusade, or to some setting, maybe a grove, where they could come to know Christ? Not only proclamation and invitation, but thirdly, I see provision. Here's an interesting passage that comes out of Third uh, 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 John, a little-known book in our Bible. It says, for the sake of the name, they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. Probably evangelists, people out preaching Christ. We therefore ought to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I like the old King James way it puts it. We could be fellow helpers to the truth. Paul speaks of that in Philippians in chapter 1. He writes to the Philippian church and he said, You have partnered with me in the gospel, in the good news that Jesus saves from the very first day. He goes to Philippians chapter 4. He said, When I first was ministering and you first had become acquainted with the gospel and had received the good news that Jesus saves yourselves, you began to give to me and help me in my ministry financially and with your resources. 
And he said, it's not that I desire a gift, verse 15, as much as it will be more credits to your account. In other words, brothers and sisters, we can partner with evangelism, with the message that Jesus saves, with the gospel, and those who share it by sharing of our very resources. When we give to a church that is evangelistic, when we give to a ministry that is evangelistic, when we give to a missionary budget that sends missionaries locally and around the world to share the message of Christ, or when we see somebody that is sharing an in some way we support them. The Bible says we are investing, we are partnering, we are involved in the very gospel of Christ providing for evangelism. And then finally, intercession. Listen to what the Apostle Paul had as a prayer request in Colossians 4 verses 3 and 4. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I pray, proclaim it clearly as I should. Now that's a, what is most amazing to me about that is Paul says, I'm in jail. But I still want to preach the gospel here. Pray for me that the doors will be open and hearts will be receptive. He didn't mean the doors of the prison. He meant the heart's door of people to hear and respond to the gospel by God's Holy Spirit. Pray for us. There will be open doors. Father Nash was a partner with Charles Finney, the great evangelist of the early times of our country. Father Nash would go into a community three to four weeks before Charles Finney would come to preach a revival meeting. And he would begin to find a place and some like-minded people and they would just pray and pray and pray that the Spirit of God would come and open the hearts of the people to the gospel. Even after Finney showed up, often Father Nash did not even go to the revival meeting. He would just stay in that room Pray, oh God, send your spirit. Oh God, open hearts. Oh God, turn people to Christ. Billy Graham has said the three most important things in preparation for evangelism are these. Number one, prayer. Number two, prayer. And number three, Are you praying? Am I praying for somebody we know who needs the Lord? Are we praying for those who are ministering the word of the Lord that God would give open hearts? I conclude with this thought. Why would we not want to be evangelistic? Why would we not want to be involved in spreading the gospel? Well, it could be focus. You know, I think at times, and I've done it myself, I can come to church and get fired up and get blessed and praise God and sing the songs and say, man, that was an awesome sermon. Now, not any Sunday I was preaching, of course, but, you know, when I'm listening to Doug, whoa, that was awesome. And, you know, I can, handle, I can just forget that the people all around me are souls. And so sometimes it can be a matter of focus. I'm glad God didn't feel that way. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent the great evangelist, Jesus Christ, 
that we might not perish but have eternal life. I think of 2 Kings chapter 7. The city of Samaria is besieged. There are four lepers having to be living outside the walls because of their disease. The Syrian army hears a great noise that God causes. They all flee. And there's all this food in the camp and the city is starving. And finally these four lepers say, let's go over to the Syrians. If they kill us, we're going to die anyway. They go there. The camp is empty. All the soldiers have left. But there's food galore. They begin to eat the food and hide the treasure. And then all of a sudden they say, and I love this, in verse 9, they said, this is a day of good news. We ought to be sharing. And so they go back to the city and say, Come! There's all the food in the camp. You don't need to starve any longer. Sometimes Doug has described sharing the gospel as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You know, hopefully there comes a point where we get evangelistic enough to say, It's not just enough that I'm saved. My family's saved. Others need to be saved today. Perhaps it's faulty theology. You know, we look at people and say, well, I know they don't go to heaven, or I know they may not be a Christian, but you know, they're, they're, they're really good people. And I think in the end, I mean, God's going to let most people, I mean, most people are pretty good. I don't think God's, maybe the real bad ones God's going to send to hell, but most people, they're going to make it. Now, wait a minute. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, nothing good we've done. But by His grace He saved us, so that nobody can brag. It's been well said, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. You say, well, you know, they may not believe like we believe, but I'm sure they believe. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 7, I, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It could be the faulty theology of saying, well, you know, I believe, listen, I'm Reformed, I'm Presbyterian, I believe in election, and if God's chosen you, you're going to get saved no matter what, so it doesn't matter. We don't need to get out there and witness. Friends, I've got news for you. The same Bible that I absolutely believe tells us that God chose us also tells us we're commissioned to go out and be a witness. Matthew chapter 28, the Lord Jesus said, go therefore and teach all nations. The Lord Jesus said, Mark 16, 15, preach the gospel to every creature. The Lord Jesus said, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. The same Bible that teaches election teaches evangelism. I like what old brother Hiles said, Jack Hiles. He said, I'm a Calvinist in my heart. I just haven't let it go to my feet. In other words, he knew the doctrines of grace, that it's all of God, that God expects us to get out there and share that Jesus saves. That's what he's commanded. And then finally, it could be a matter of fear. Man, I'd like to talk to folks about the Lord, but, but I'm afraid, afraid of what they'll think of me, afraid I'll be a holy roller, afraid of, you know, I won't know what to say or won't have all the answers. That's why the Bible encourages us, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, study it. Look at your own heart, God's grace in your own life. Look at the Word that you can be ready to give an answer to anybody at any time about the hope that lies in you. Say, wow, as soon as I know exactly how to do it, my dad has often said, so many Christians are so concerned about having tact that they never attack. What I don't want to be like is the one young man. He was in a Christian college and 
his friends heard he was going up to a logging camp. They said, oh, man, those loggers, we've heard they're tough. And, man, I'll tell you what, when they find out you're a Christian, they are going to give you what for. He got back at the end of the summer of the next year of school, and they said, how'd it go? He said, went fine. He said, well, what did they do when they found out you were a Christian? He said, it worked out great. They never found out. 